Hi, this is Dr. Jonathan Vorce's daughter, Nikki, from Lakewood Family Church. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, helps you, and uplifts you. We're here to win the lost, to train disciples, and to make Jesus famous. Hope you enjoy the message today. And so I'll tell you what, if you want to, just turn to Psalms chapter 91 there, and we'll get to it here in just a few moments, but we're going to um, uh, be studying about the Passover and what it means for the next uh, few moments. Father, we just come to you today and we thank you for the Word of God that changes, transforms, and instructs and encourages our life. And Father, today we receive it with gratitude and thanksgiving. I pray that you would touch me to be able to effectively communicate the Word of God as we feast upon it today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. In Exodus chapter 11, we find Yahweh, Jehovah, God, speaking to Moses concerning the last plague. And he said, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt must die. Now, we're talking about the Passover today. And I want you to understand that the Passover was uh, actually celebrated in the wilderness. It was set up uh, there in the tabernacle. But it began before the law before the tabernacle was ever given, before the law. It began before then. Passover is literally comes from the term or from the word when Israel had been in captivity for 430 years. The Bible says that God wanted to set them free. And so we have the different plagues of Egypt. God was using Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh would say, okay. And then the next day he would change his mind. And so there were nine plagues And then the tenth plague that came was the plague where, and each plague just got worse and worse and worse, and the tenth plague came where the firstborn of all of the Egyptians would have to die. Now, when the death angel passed over Egypt, the Bible said that God had told the children of Israel to slay a lamb, and we'll talk about it in a little more detail in a few moments, but to slay a lamb, take the blood of the lamb, put it on the doorpost of their home. So they put it on both sides, the top, and then it went down into the basin in the bottom. And the Bible said when the angel saw the blood of the lamb, that he would pass over that house. And so that's the term of, that's where the term Passover came from. Okay? So we celebrate it even today. They celebrated it in the Old Testament tabernacle. The Jews still celebrate it today. We celebrate it, except we celebrate the the lamb, the spotless lamb of glory, Jesus who died. And so we celebrate around Easter every year, the Passover, the Passover. So uh, the question that we get is, uh, you know, why would God require a death for a life? Why would he require that? Because God always balances righteousness with loving mercy. So if you were on the right side of the blood that day, then the firstborn across the street would lose their life, but because the blood was applied to the doorpost of your home, then your firstborn was protected. So God decrees judgment for all sin. God can't let sin go unanswered. So there has to be judgment and all sinners. Jesus provided a way of escape. God provided a way of escape through the sacrifice of Jesus. We also know this as a kapora or a covering. So we look here uh, in his judgment of Egypt, the covering of the Passover lamb was the kapora. It was the way of escape. And so it comes from the word pasha, 
which comes from the word from the noun pesa and resembles the Egyptian word pesh, which means to spread wings over in order to protect. And that's where we enter Psalms chapter 91 here. It's the very same word that's used here in Psalms chapter 91. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He's my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler, from the noisome pestilence. He will cover thee with His feathers, and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth will be your shield and buckler. And so that covering there was the word pesh or pesa or pasha. That was the covering there. The benefits of that covering are seen in the next few verses. You won't be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day, pestilence that walks in darkness, destruction that wastes at noonday. You won't have to be afraid of your enemies. A thousand will fall at your side and ten thousand over here on your right hand, but they will not come nigh you. And so we see this here, this word pasha or pesa or, or pesh, which means to spread wings over and in order to protect. And so when they were in the Passover, on the right side of the blood, they were, you get, get this now, they were covered by the blood. You get that? They were covered by the blood. That's why it's important for us today to stay on the right side of the blood. That's why it's important for us today to allow the blood of Jesus Christ that has been applied to our heart and to our life to continue to cleanse us. That's why we say, Lord, we ask for the covering of the blood. We plead the blood of Jesus. We are covered by the blood. So as we look at these lessons here found in the Passover, we see that in the Passover it was a night of judgment. The children of Israel were, uh, were, had been in bondage for 430 years. There was no one alive in Israel at the time, no one alive in Israel who could remember being free. This all happened, this all happened when Joseph was ascended up into the throne and the children of Israel began to grow and began to populate there. So they, turned, they, they eventually turned them into slaves. So we see that they were there. It was the night of the, of the judgment. The substitutionary death of the Passover lamb brought forgiveness for God's people and when God saw the blood, He passed over the cleansing agent. The blood of the lamb protected them from the wrath of Almighty God. The roasted flesh of the lamb gave them strength for the long, perilous journey of deliverance that would be ahead. They ate in haste according to what the word of the Lord said. They were dressed, they had their staff in their hand, they had their shoes on their feet, and they were prepared to leave at the very moment that God commanded them to leave. As I was writing this, I put in that all-filled night of waiting, they experienced God's loving protection even in the midst of the unleashing of His fierce judgment. So let's look at what God taught them and look at what God is teaching us through this Passover celebration. There's four things that we're going to talk about today. Number one, we're going to talk about the lamb. Number two, we're going to talk about the bitter herbs that they ate. We're going to talk about the unleavened bread, which they ate. And we're going to talk about the blood, the blood of the Passover lamb. The people had to single out a beautiful lamb, a healthy lamb, 
a spotless lamb. A lamb that was probably about a year old, like a yearling. And so it was reaching the prime of its life. It was frisky. It was winsome. It was playful. It had a personality. And what they would do is they would take that lamb into their home, literally into their home, like we would have a pet dog. They would take that lamb literally into their home for four days before sacrifice. During that time, they would prepare that lamb. They would feed it. The kids would feed it. They would brush it out. They would brush it out. They would, and they would play with it. And they would spend time with it. And there's no doubt that in, that four, in those four days that there was this bond that began to develop with this lamb. But then it came time to sacrifice it. And that, and that father would have to take that lamb down and let the priest sacrifice that lamb and draw the life's blood. So the lesson was painfully clear to all in their house. Number one, God demands holiness. And because God demands holiness, He has to judge sin. And the price is costly and painful. Now, we see that the lamb was a type of the lamb that would eventually come. The lamb that would be slain from the foundation of the world. All of this pain, all of the trauma, all of the things that they would experience was a type of the pain and the trauma that Jesus would experience as He walked the Via Dolorosa and gave His life on Calvary for you and I. The beautiful thing about that though is that through the sacrifice of Jesus, God made a way of escape. He showed us mercy. He showed us grace. And so there's plenty of scriptures. We don't have time to get into them today, but in Isaiah 53 and 7 and 1 Peter 1, 19 through 21, Hebrews 4, 12, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Galatians 2 and 20, there's plenty of scriptures there. And you can go back and watch this on Facebook and write those scriptures down if you want to that speaks of God providing and making a way of escape. And so we have the lamb. We have the lamb that was selected we have the lamb that was in with the family. We have the lamb that had started developing a relationship. And then we had the trauma of the lamb actually having to be slain. And so we see that there at that first Passover and the Passovers that followed it. The second thing that they did was they would eat bitter herbs. Bitter herbs spoke of another lesson. The bitter herb usually spoke of death. Bitterness in Scripture often speaks of death and it usually alludes to death. But the bitter herbs in this particular passage of Scripture spoke of the death of the firstborn and, the, and also spoke of the death of the lamb and it spoke of life because of another death. Because the lamb died, Israel could live. Because the lamb died, the children who were attached to it could live. Because Jesus died, we have life and life more abundantly. Because Jesus died, we don't have to die. You see that? And so it spoke of that. God created man to gain life through death, to receive physical sustenance from the death of something. Now some of you are going to leave today and Go have a hamburger. Others of you will have a steak. Some will go eat fish. Some will go eat chicken. Everything that I mentioned that you will enjoy on your plate is there because of the death of something else. Their death 
gives you life. And that's the way it was. And so we see this pattern in from death to life in our spiritual walk with God. Because Jesus died, we can live. And now because He lives, we can live also. Bitterness in Scripture also speaks of mourning. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, the Bible prophesied, Zechariah prophesied that one day Israel as a nation would weep and be in bitterness and deep sympathy and mourning for their Messiah. I want to read it to you. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. And yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. So we see that bitter herbs also speak of mourning. And so there was mourning because of death. There was mourning because they were leaving a place that was familiar. There was mourning because they were having to detach from everything that they had owned in order to embrace everything that God said that they could have. There's some of you that are living in that place right now. You can't turn past of what you've been hanging on to and you can't have what what God's prepared for you. And the reason is because you're standing here in the middle hanging on. In order to, in order, if, if, if I want, if, say this microphone is what God has for me. But if I'm hanging on to something over here and I can't reach that microphone, I'm going to have to turn loose of this in order to lean in and get a hold of that. And that's what a lot of people are doing. They can't lean in and get what God wants them to have. They can't experience God's best because they're hanging on to sin. They're hanging on to pain. They're hanging on to an injustice. They're hanging on to something that happened way back when and in order for you to advance in the kingdom, turn it loose. Sometimes it causes mourning when you turn it loose. Sometimes you have to turn loose of an old spouse. Sometimes you have to turn loose of a bad relationship with a friend or a family member. Sometimes you have to turn loose of a failed business thing. Sometimes you have to turn that loose so you can advance forward in God. It might cause some mourning, but the mourning is worth it if the other morning will dawn. Hallelujah, the morning of your brand new day. The third thing that I want to talk to you about is the unleavened bread. Unleavened bread, uh, the children of Israel ate the Passover lamb with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And then the Bible said that they were to eat no leaven for seven more days. They had to get all, leaven is yeast, and they had to get all the yeast out of their, out of their system. And so they ate no more, no leaven for seven days after that. Leaven in the Bible is almost always a symbol of sin. Sin is something that that comes into our life that can grow. It can puff. It can get it can puff up. Now here's the thing about leaven. Leaven causes dough or yeast causes dough to become puffed up so that the end product is more in volume, but there's no sustenance added. So it just looks bigger, but it still does the same thing. So that's what sin does in your life. That's what sin does in your body. It teaches us this lesson, the putting away of leaven, not eating the leaven for seven days. The putting away of leaven is a picture of the sanctification of the child of God. 
Sanctification is a fancy theological term that simply means set apart for a holy service unto the Lord. The vessels in the temple were sanctified to the Lord. The priest was sanctified to the Lord. And the people were sanctified by the priest unto the Lord. That simply means they were set apart for a holy purpose. When God saves you, He sanctifies you. When He sanctifies you, that means He says, I'm going to use you for my holy purpose. That's what sanctification is. Sanctification is the process and the work that the blood does on your life that cleanses out all of the leaven. It cleanses out all of the sin. It cleanses out all of the weight and the unrighteousness. You've been sanctified to God, set apart for a holy service, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. A true believer will put away the sin in his own life. They will. A true believer. Now I'm not talking about a believer in just confession. I'm talking about someone who is really living for the Lord. They will say, you know what? I'm not going to go back and be like that old man. God redeemed me. from. I put off the old man. I put on the new man. I became born again. Born again. I have a new life in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to allow the blood that Jesus used to cleanse me of my sin to be wasted because I want to go back to my fleshly wants and my fleshly desires. God marked me with the blood. I'm His. I belong to Him. So I'm going to stay on this side of the threshold of the blood and I'm going to be covered by the blood. The Hebrew word for leaven is the word chomots, which means bitter and sour. It's the nature of sin to make people bitter and make them sour. Have you ever met someone who called themselves a Christian and they were the meanest person you ever met in your life? Huh? Have you? I know people who have told me I don't go to church because the people in the world treat me better than the people in the church. Shame on us. Right? But have you ever met someone who was bitter? They get up and they preach, and when they're preaching, they call it anointed, and they're really just mad. Huh? You ever met somebody who preached mad and called it anointed? Is that just me? You know? And they get up there and most of the time they got the holy hogs going on and their veins are popping out in their neck and all of this and, and people don't shout and dance or anything like that unless they get on some type of high horse or something and they're screaming and hollering about something that's not even in the Word of God. It's just the traditions of men. Have you ever met someone like that? You know why they're bitter? Because they're prideful in religion. Hello? Come on. I've told you for years, every, every time I've ever preached, four, the four churches we pastor, I've told them, you come to our church, you get the word. Go somewhere else, feel good. Come to our church, we're going to give you the word. They get bitter because they're hanging on to religion. I cannot stand religion. I'm not religious. 
I'm not a religious person. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ that I live out every day. Religion are laws and rituals and legalism and nonsense. That's religion. There is a difference between religion and relationship. Don't be caught up in pharisaical religion. Be a recipient of the grace of God. And when you see someone that's maybe drifted off into sin over there, over here, over there, instead of finding fault with that person, just say, you know, just pray for them and say, except for the grace of God, there go I. Lord, help me help them. And don't be critical. Listen, sin makes you bitter. Sin makes you sour. People, people are bitter and sour because they get resentful. Resentment is sin because it's based in pride. It's based in personal pride. And that's what leaven will do. Sin, that's what sin will do. So the Hebrew word for leaven is chomots, meaning bitter or sour. And it's the nature of sin to make people bitter and to make them sour. And, and, and it causes stuff to get puffed up. What's the Bible say about pride? Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I learned a long time ago. I had someone back on Thursday, this past Thursday, I was having dinner with someone and they were asking me and we were talking to them about our colleges and they were interested in possibly uh, being uh, uh, the dean of an extension campus. And so I was talking with them and uh, somehow the conversation worked around to going to college and getting my doctorate and, and, and all of the years it took me and all of the hard work and everything like that. And they asked me, they said, uh, they said what is the most, uh, probably the most beneficial thing, I think is the term they used, uh, that you learned during your educational journey. And I told them, I said, the more I learn, I said, and here's what I told them. I said, first of all, I said, I'm a perpetual learner. I said, I will learn until the day that I go to heaven. I will. And there might be things that I learned that will have, have to make me shift a little bit here and there of things maybe that I had have uh, maybe believed throughout the years. I've had to make a few shifts here and there. Because as you get to know the Lord and as you get to know the Word of God and the light shines upon the Word of God and you get to know it more and more and more and more, then there are shifts that take place in the things that, that you believe. But I told him, I said, here's what I learned. I said, the more that I have learned, the more I've realized I don't know. And I said, the greatest thing that college ever taught me was where to go try to find an answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, some people get all, all uh, built up with pride. Whoa, I got that ordained bishop certificate. Whoa, I've got that doctorate degree. Or whoa, I've got this massive business. And, or whoa, look at my investments. And wow, look at the house I'm living in. And whoa, look at... And people get all caught up in things like that. And listen, if you just give the devil one inch, that's all he needs. It's leaven. And it'll just puff up and puff up and puff up and puff up. And what'll happen is in your mind, you'll see yourself this large, but you'll still be that small. That's what pride does. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit 
before a fall. Jesus identified leaven as false doctrine and hypocrisy. Matthew chapter 16, verses 6 through 12, Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we've taken no bread. Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O ye of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you brought no bread? Do you not under, yet understand or remember the five loaves and the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Or the seven loaves and the four thousand and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you talking about bread? I told you to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees was religion. It was religious. It was laws and rules and precepts and things that they had been redeemed from. That's what it was. And so Jesus told them to beware of that. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, the apostle Paul spoke of leaven as pride, malice, and wickedness. He said, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly since you truly are unleavened for indeed Christ our passover was sacrificed for us therefore let us keep the feast not with the old leaven which would speak of the old leaven of the law nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth someone that has been a recipient of the benefits of the grace of God, grace, God's ability to do in you and for you what you cannot do in yourself or for yourself, someone who has been a recipient of that are going to be paying attention to sincerity and the truth of God's Word. They're not going to be paying attention to old traditions of men and things like that. They're going to be paying attention to Calvary and the benefits of Calvary and the blood of Jesus and how that opened up a new and a better and a living way for you and I. So if the Hebrew word for leaven is, is one word, then the Hebrew word for unleavened is another. The Hebrew word for unleavened is the word matzo, which means sweet and without sourness. Leaven means bitter and sour. Unleavened means sweet. It means sweet without sourness. You know someone who has been feasting on the unleavened word of the living God because they have a sweet spirit. They don't get bitter and sour every time somebody disagrees with them. Let's just bring it down to where we live. Y'all ready for this? Come on, buckle in your seatbelt. Here we go. All right, let's bring it down to where. I see people who profess to be Christians who go to war on social media, and if you didn't know any better, you would think they were demon-possessed the way they were treating each other. Listen, you can use social media for good or you can use it for bad. It is not your soap box. Social media 
was not created. It may have been created for, but Christians should not use social media to air out their dirty laundry or their nonsense opinions. Amen? Because what happens is you got people that, that are supposed to be Christians and they start going at each other and then you have the French people who are not Christians that are sitting back looking at that and thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know if I want to serve God or not. Those who have been a recipient of the benefits of the grace of God have a sweet spirit. And they don't sport a sour attitude. Especially when things don't go their way. They say, well, honey, I'll pray for you. And let it go at that. Amen? This needs to be preached over the next two or three months, almost every Sunday. The last thing I want to talk to you about today, probably the most significant thing that I want to talk to you about today, is the blood on the door. So we've talked about the lamb, we've talked about the bitter herbs, we've talked about the unleavened bread. Now we're going to talk about the blood that was on the door. Exodus 12, 22 says, that ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin and none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. So we have the blood that was applied to the top. We have the blood that was applied to the sides. And we have the blood that was in the basin. And the Egyptian word for that is sap, which means like a little gully underneath the door. It would be like a threshold. So back then what would happen is, you know, we have a threshold that kind of goes up like that when you go over. But back then they had one that kind of went down. And so it basically uh, served the same purpose. It would keep whatever's out there, it would just fall into the little basin. Well, the blood that was put on the top and the sides, well, there was so much of it that it actually dripped down and it filled up that little basin. When Jesus was hanging on Calvary, we see a picture of this. We see the blood from the crown of thorns. We see the blood that would be from the top. We see the blood in his hands and in his side. That would be the blood on both sides. And we see where his feet were pierced with the nail. That would be the blood beneath. The blood that flowed. That blood, as long as we are a recipient of that blood and we stay on this side of the blood, then we can have cleansing and healing. Several times in Scripture, we see special marks that uh, secure immunity from destruction from, uh, from the enemy for those that fear the Lord. So as we look at this picture of our suffering Messiah on the cross of Calvary, we see that and we come to realize, and I'll give you some scriptures that you can write down and study later this week, but we come to realize that we praise God because of the blood of the Lamb purchased things for us. Number one, it purchased our redemption. Psalms chapter 107 and verse number 2, the Bible tells us that we are redeemed because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The word redemption literally means to purchase out of a slave market. We were purchased by the blood of Jesus. There was a price on your head. And Jesus satisfied that cost. He satisfied it. And now you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Look at uh, Ephesians 2.13. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's speaking of the presence of God. 
The second thing that the blood of Jesus Christ purchased for us is in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 where the Bible says that we've been cleansed from our sins. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. I've said it before and I'll say it again, repetition being the key to learning. The Old Testament lambs covered the blood. The lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world cleanses our blood. All they could do was cover it, but the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus, washed our sins away. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why he could remember them against us no more because when he sees us, he sees the blood. When he sees us, he sees us washed and clean and made pure. And he's made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. Not by things that we have done. It's him that made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Righteousness simply means standing in right stead with God being in right relationship with the Lord. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that does that for us and it does that because of the cleansing from sin. And then the third thing that we see that the blood of Christ has done for us, it it has justified us. And that's a term, just very simple way for us to remember it. When the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to my heart and my life and, and, and washed and cleansed me from sin, it is just as if I had never sinned. That's what justification means in its simplest form. You have been justified by the blood of Jesus. When he gives when you when he gave his life for you and you receive him as your Lord and Savior, he makes it just as if you had never sinned. But pastor, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what life I came from. Listen, God did And He still wanted you. God knew the mess that you had made your life and God still wanted you. And He said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. And so we come to Him. We come boldly to the throne of grace. We approach Him and He cleanses us from our sin. And when God looks at us, it's just as if we had never sinned. He's looking at perfection. Because of the blood. That's the power of justification. And then sanctification, we touched on it just a little bit earlier, but sanctification simply means to set apart for a holy purpose. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that that we would show forth the praises of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. So we have been chosen by God as a holy nation, as a peculiar people. We are sanctified to Him. Vessels of the ministry. The reason that we are sanctified is because we're His body, the fullness of Him that fills all in all. He's the head of the church and we're His body, the church, the ecclesia, the assembly of called out ones or the governing body, the governing authority of His work on the earth. In the Old Testament... When Jesus looked at Peter and said, You're Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. That's the Greek word ecclesia, which means assembly of called out ones. And we can look at that and we can study it that way. But when you study the context of it, you will realize that every single little town and little village and little city had what they would call the ecclesia. And the ecclesia was the governing body of that city. Much like what we would call the mayor and and, 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 and their group around you know, the, the council and all of that that, that run our, our, little con, our, our little towns and things like that. 
Well, when Jesus looked at Peter and said, You're Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, what he was saying was, I'm going to build an ecclesia through you, and, and the church is going to have governing authority on the earth to carry out the will of God in the earth. We've been sanctified by God, set apart by God to be the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. We are one with Him to carry out governing authority of heaven in the earth. We were created to be a worshiper. That's true. The Word of God tells us that. We were created to be a worshiper, but we were also created by God to rule and to reign and to have governing authority in the earth on behalf of heaven. That's the power of sanctification. Freedom from fear. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 13. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. Christ has redeemed us. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. We are free. We are free from fear. We are free from the curse of the law. Two more things. When Jesus died on Calvary and His blood was shed, it purchased, it purchased forgiveness for all of us. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. The Bible says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. That's a powerful, powerful chapter. Actually, it's a powerful book. Don't have time to get into it, but study the book of Ephesians sometimes. It'll bless, sometime it'll bless you. And then the Word of God tells us that the blood of Jesus and His sacrifice provides healing for our bodies. We can find that in the book of Isaiah chapter 53. So we see the Passover. We see that it was instituted that day when they came out of Egypt. We see the blood, we see the lamb, we see the bitter herbs, we see the unleavened bread and we see the blood. They carried that through the wilderness, and they've been doing it for years. And today, we become recipients of that blood. Because when the blood of Jesus is applied to our heart and to our life, then the enemy has to pass over us because we're covered by the blood. Because I'm covered, that means I'm redeemed. That means I'm cleansed. That means I'm justified, I'm sanctified, free from the curse of the law, I'm forgiven, and I'm made whole. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's all stand. Let's all stand. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those who helped to give to keep the gospel moving forward. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description or visit jvorse.org for more information. Please share, like, subscribe if you enjoyed our podcast. Take a screenshot and tag us at Lakewood Family Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.